I'm Lindsay Claiborne. And I'm Mumu Shu, and you are listening to Beyond the Microscope. Hi, everyone. We are back. Uh, today's guest is Amy Strauss. She is a PhD candidate in organismic and evolutionary biology at UMass Amherst. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Uh, Amy, um, what is it that a PhD candidate in organismic and evolutionary biology does or do? Sure. What do you do? Um, so we sort of joke in my program that organismic biology is kind of uh, redundant because organisms are anything that's living and biology is the study of life. So organismal biology, we study organisms and evolutionary biology. We look at things that evolve, um, which again is all life. So uh, people in my program study a huge broad range of um, things, but really what the organismal title means is that we, we look mostly at sort of a, at the level of organisms. So there's a lot of people that study um, within an organism, you know, the micro, micro level or molecular cellular level or sort of really big broad landscape level interaction kind of stuff. And we're sort of focused, zoomed in at the individual level of the whole organism function. Um, and I study in particular um, birds and bird song. So I look at um, vocal communication in birds and sort of the evolution and ecology of bird song. How did how did bird song and and I mean I, it's cool obviously it's something we all know about in cartoon references yeah, yeah. and everything but why <laughs> why that and why why did you sort of go down that path Yeah um, well I think bird song is really cool and really awesome and and something that I I like about it is that it's something you can see every day so I every day I you know go outside of my apartment I hear birds singing especially at this time of year so it's something that's sort of tangible um, and I noticed I guess sort of at an early age, I didn't particularly have an interest in it um, until college when I, um, actually when I was studying abroad. So I, I went to college, I was a biology major, I sort of thought about maybe med school or something, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked science and I knew I liked biology. And then I ended up studying abroad um, in Costa Rica in a sort of more e ecology, biodiversity sort of um, program. And there we spent a lot of time just outside looking, learning and sort of looking at all these different kinds of environments and ecosystems and learning about the creatures in them and sort of how the ecosystems function together. And I got really into, first of all, being outside and sort of looking at the world um, in this sort of scientific way and, and thinking about all the nature around us. And then the birds there are just incredible. And so I got really interested in um, the bird life. And, and I spent a lot of time outside just listening to song and sort of got excited about it. And then um, I ended up, when I came back to college, I ended up getting involved with a professor who was doing research on bird song um, in Kansas, not Costa Rica. But I went to Kansas with him um, the summer before my senior year of college. And worked on a research project on bird song. And so that's sort of where my particular academic interest as opposed to just thinking it was cool um, emerged. And then I, I took a bunch of time off, or I took a couple years off after college and did a lot of different things. I uh, worked in corporate advertising and, and did a lot of stuff that was very well, unrelated. That's very different. Yes. <laughs> um, for, and that was, yeah, that, that was sort of, just the job I, you know, the job I could get. I started in this company and sort of started going down this path. And then um, uh, 
sort of missed my biology and sort of nature side of things and, and started to volunteer and, and get back into some um, environmental and, and bio-y stuff and then decided to go back to grad school. And I returned to the study system that I had worked in before, which was birdsong. So. Well, are there particular birds that you study? Um, there are. I would say that the particular birds that I study are s- somewhat random. Um, and I, I study sparrows. And it's, I mean, <laughs> there are really awesome things about sparrows and their songs, which I can get into. So they're a great system for looking at bird song. But um, songbirds in general, which is a, a very diverse group, um, have a lot of the a lot of the um, stuff that's really cool and interesting about birdsong applies to lots of birds. And it's just, you sort of have to pick one in order to, to do these tests and, and get, you know, perform real experiments and stuff like that. You can't do it on everything. So I ended up working on sparrows because they're abundant locally where I am based in Amherst, Massachusetts. And they do have um, really complex, interesting songs and song sort of um, processes that so they're a good study system. But yeah, I, I would have probably been happy studying any any songbird. <laughs> I get, tell me if I'm wrong and you can and laugh sure. at me if I say this, but I get the sense you find sparrows on the boring side of the scale. Well, I, you know, I don't actually when it comes to <laughs> acoustics. I think maybe I say that just because in like, you know, my, my passion for birds came when I was like in the rainforest of Costa Rica looking at all these super bright exotic things. Sparrows are quite dull looking, but that actually um, is sort of, linked to the fact that their songs are super elaborate and and we can get into that a little more later but song is a sexually selected trait which a lot of bright plumage colors and stuff are too so a lot of birds that have super bright elaborate ornamentation and plumage and look really cool um, that's sort of the the particular trait that evolved um to as be as opposed to how they sing or what they yeah sing and so yeah so they're very dull looking but it makes it means that their songs are extra cool so well, before we get into the particular details about the sparrow songs, yes. Um, yes. Uh, what exactly are you studying when you sort of yeah. look talk about birdsong? Good question. I so when I was uh, <laughs> when I was thinking about going back to grad school, I thought that birdsong was like a very narrow, specific thing that I had landed on. And then when I started looking at programs and looking at you know researchers that I might want to work with, I learned that bird song is actually an enormous field of study and there's like a thousand different ways you could go um, in there. And so in, in particular, I, well, I, I, I look at bird song from a number of different sort of approaches, but I would say the unifying theme of what I do is I think about how um, song has evolved in the particular sort of ecological context that these birds evolved and how like that, um, habitat that a bird evolves in has an effect on what song they end up singing and that is has to do with sound transmission properties and acoustic properties of like an environment um and so so I sort of think about song in the context of the environment that it's that it's in that I mean that just sounds so if there's so many different things to study I, I every time I you mentioned bird song and, and acoustics <laughs> I keep going back to physics mm-hmm. do you have to yes. have a really sort of <laughs> I feel like you'd need a really solid physics and acoustics background to be able to then put those together with the biology. Yes. So that has been um, that has been something that I didn't quite anticipate when I started getting excited about this. But yes, it is something that I um, have sort of had to learn, and there's still a lot more that I that I 
will learn <laughs> about the physics of sound. But yeah, so I'm, I'm really thinking about how sound bouncing off of, you know, leaves and trees and, and you know, buildings and things like that um, shapes the way that song functions in these birds. So it does require, like, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, um, yeah, how sound moves. I mean, sound in itself is just um, vibration. So when I speak or a bird sings, I, all that all that's happening is that I'm, you know, vibrating my vocal cords um, at a certain frequency, and then that sends air, you know, air molecules out at different um, sort of vibration rates, and then ultimately that like hits somebody else's ear, um, which vibrates their tympanum membrane, and that sends a signal to the brain. But all it is is just like movement and vibration of like air. Um, that's all that sound really is, and so <laughs> you can get really. Um, you know, specific thinking about how different kinds of sounds move differently through, you know, different environments and things like that. But yes, I have dabbled in a lot of more physics than I thought I would. Sorry, I've got one more yes. question, like general question about um, acoustics and whatnot. Do mm -hmm. birds hear the same way we do? That's a or good do they question. Hear different things, or do they? So, are we working with the same like um, fundamentals? I guess is yeah. what I'm asking. That's a good question, and it. So there's a couple different ways to answer that. One is that it varies with different species. Um, but for the most part, the sort of mechanism of hearing is similar to humans. And actually, one thing that makes birds and birdsong a particularly cool system to study is that there's a ton of parallels to humans. And a lot of the like brain regions and things that are used in humans for auditory and vocal communication map, um, map onto the bird's uh, brain systems for these things too. Um, but so the actual like mechanism of hearing is quite similar. It's just um, like a translation of this vibration that hits a membrane and then is sent, signals are sent to the brain. Um, but they hear and in, in a much more like, um, well, like when we hear, when we listen to birds singing, we hear something very different than what they hear. And I think that really mostly just has to do with like, um, they're much more attuned to very subtle differences. So humans, like if you hear a bunch of birds singing, unless you're like studying it and thinking about it all the time, you know, a lot of it can sound very similar. It just sounds like whatever. Um, but birds actually are really, really good at discerning like very subtle differences in frequency and, and rate of singing and all these kinds of things. And so they're much more attuned to subtle differences than, than we are, but the mechanism is the same. Can, does that mean they can identify their own species? Yeah, um, yes. And um, so they can, and they beyond that, they can actually, many species, um, and this is something that isn't like 100%, but many, um, a lot of song actually in t uh, includes like individual identification. So they'll, like birds can actually tell individuals apart by their songs. So if a bird is listening to a bunch of birds singing around him, like in a landscape, often the, like birds can recognize in different individuals by their songs, which would be very hard for us to do. I mean, similar to how we hear human voices, right? We can tell mm -hmm. somebody's voice that we know. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So I have a, a wonkier question about sure. what you do. Sure. Um, so you <laughs> talked about not that we haven't been walking already. So <laughs> you talked about, you know, studying how, um, you know, the song evolves because of ecology and whatnot. Does that mean that you're comparing songs 
sort of from historically collected data to current that's a songs? good that's a good question um I am not but there are that is definitely something that people do um and and actually one field of research which again is not what I do but that's be, that's been sort of a big deal lately is people have um documented shifts in um shifts in song structure and song frequencies of a lot of species that live near like cities or or highways or things that create a lot of background noise um so like the the lull of a highway is super loud um and it's super low frequency so a lot of like birds that sing in those ranges there's been by comparing historical and current recordings, um, people have documented like consistent sort of shifts up in frequency of a lot of different species, which is thought to be a way to compensate for this sort of masking effect that you get from loud noises. Um, so that's just one cool thing that people do comparing historical stuff. So I don't do that. Um, and in so in that sort of looking at how songs evolve in these different habitats and things like that, I am looking at, so the project that I'm doing that sort of fits the most into that category is actually not on sparrows. It's actually on Darwin's finches, which, um, in the Galapagos, which are um, a great system for a lot of evolutionary questions because uh, over relatively rapid evolutionary time, one ancestor has given rise to 15 different species in this um, group of finches. Yeah, so, and this was the group um, that inspired Darwin <laughs> in part because right. um, he saw all these very closely related birds that had like, you know, diverged in ways that sort of mapped. And he was really looking at their beaks based on like what they're feeding. Um, but he saw like they're all very, very, very similar, but then like their beaks are slightly different and they match like the food that they're eating. And that sort of inspired his idea. So the same group of birds, um, you can look, so I'm looking at their songs and I'm looking at how the 15 different species live in these different habitats, but they're all very closely related and they're all close together. Um, and, and I'm looking at what they're singing now and how, how well their um, songs transmit. So how far their songs transmit, I guess you could think of it as, so if you take a bird song and you play it, um, or you, I play it through a speaker just to control things, but you could take the bird and have it sing. And like, as you get further away, the sound will degrade in predictable ways based on the physics of sound. Um, but it does that differently in different habitats. So I look at what they're singing and I'm, I'm asking if um, the songs that they sing seem to sort of match the habitats that they're in um, to infer how song diversified and evolved and whether or not it sort of matches the habitat in which it evolved. Um, so I'm not looking at historical stuff. I'm just inferring it. Obviously, we, you know, I would hear a sparrow singing mm -hmm. and another bird singing, and I wouldn't even know the difference. Right. But how closely can you hear the the sort of the differences? If you're like, oh my god, he just changed it. That's great. I mean, yeah. I mean, how how close are you? Yeah. Um, I would say that in the species I study, I've <laughs> become pretty pretty good at it. I mean, it it's nowhere near the level of acuity that like a bird has. And, and there are all these tests where you can like slightly, and this is like work in my lab that happened before I got there, but like slightly speed up, very, very, very slightly speed up or slow down songs. And it elicits different reactions from the birds and things like that. They can tell these very subtle differences that I can't tell, but I, um, I can definitely tell to species and then I can sort of hear differences sometimes, but um, you know, 
so I would say I'm somewhere <laughs> somewhere above sort of an untrained ear and somewhere below a bird's ear. <laughs> In your everyday work, mm-hmm. um, are you collecting sparrows and and hearing to sort of hear their songs? Yeah. Or are you going out into the field yeah. to collect so, data? How does that work? Yeah, I um, have, you know, on any given day, there's a lot of different things we do. But I, in ha- part of my time, I go out into the field. So I have um, field sites all around the Amherst area where um, I go to school. And I go out into the field with these, like, fancy microphones and find these birds. And um, I actually... So for my studies where I, where I work in the field, I actually catch the birds and put ID bands on them so that from afar I can tell who's who because I'm interested in their social interactions. Um, so I can like observe them and watch their behaviors and then record them and hear how they're using song in these different contexts. And I can you know, know different individuals from each other. Um, and so that's really fun because I get a team of like undergrads and we go out and we are out in the field and and it's fun to handle the birds and then we release them and we can tell like oh that's that guy we banded yesterday like oh there's that one um and we record their songs and so we can look like for that one I'm looking more at how song functions behaviorally um I also have um, birds in the lab right now that um I brought in last summer as as baby birds so we actually went out and collected birds from nests um like within two or three days of hatching um, which is like before their hearing mechanism is sort of in in full force, and then we bring them into the lab, and we can control every their acoustic environment as they're being raised. Um, so for that study, I'm looking at song learning, the process of of learning song, and so we're controlling everything that these birds hear um, throughout their life, and then seeing what they end up singing as adults. Um, so that and that's that's lab work, but it started in the field. Um, and and then I've I've also done some neurobiology work with birds where I um, put electrodes in their brains while they're alive and and play songs to them and look at brain activity in response to the song. So it's a range of sort of lab and field stuff. And those birds I also collected in the field and brought in for the neuro stuff. So I'm just listening to all these different elements of this, and I'm I'm really curious because I, are you is are all of these things going to one end? product or like do you need to do all of these kinds of things electrodes and field work and lab work and all these things to reach whatever conclusion is or is it like you know just more scattershot there's like seven projects you're working on yeah they're kind of more scattershot right now and and it like so I'm in I'm still a grad student and these are sort of like evolving into their own little chapters of my dissertation so they're the the unifying theme with all of these things is I'm looking at how um like this, this issue of like sound transmission and how sound degrades as it moves through space and across distance and through habitat. And so I look in the field, I'm looking at how um, like birds react to songs that have been degraded more or less. Same within the brain. It's, so the, the brain stuff and the field stuff are actually really tied. So what I'm doing in the field is I'm playing from a speaker song to birds and looking at their reaction. And then I brought those same birds into the lab played them the same things um, and I'm looking at the brain and I'm trying to connect what's happening in the brain to what I saw happening behaviorally in the field. Um, so I'm giving them the same stimuli um, in, in these different contexts to try to look at how this brain activity is underlying the ultimate behavior that we see. And then, yeah, the, the Darwin's Finch study is kind of its own little thing. <laughs> it's, it's its own chapter looking 
kind of more broadly and evolutionarily. And then the, the learning experiments with the birds we have growing up in the lab right now ties in. I'm playing them songs that have been degraded to different extents and looking at what they'll end up learning. But yeah, they're all kind of separate projects. They're, they're all sort of fascinating. The Darwin one in particular. Yeah. Does that mean that when Darwin went out there, they actually took recordings of songs? So they didn't. Um, so how do so, you, right. So how do you, how do you compare and how do uh, you sort of draw conclusions? Yeah. Well, so my advisor has gone to the Galapagos like every year for the last, I don't know, 20 years, something like that, 15 years. And so he's collected all these recordings um, and he's looking at other questions, but he has all these recordings there. And so uh, okay. I didn't get to go to the Galapagos, unfortunately, um, but I got all these recordings from there. And um, <laughs> what, a, what a present. Sorry, you didn't get to go on vacation, but uh, <laughs> yeah, here's some songs for, from birds. Here's hey. some MP3 files. Enjoy. Hey, I, th- I know. Like, hey, I think we need a bigger sample size. You want to send me down? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had talked, to, you had sort of teased that you were going to tell us a little bit more about um, sparrows and, and sort of their peculiarities. <laughs> sure. um, what about them uh, makes them interesting? Um, sure. So the two species that I'm most, most, um, studying, I guess, is song sparrows and swamp sparrows, which it's, it's confusing because they sound very similar. Um, their names, not their songs. (laughs) Um, so song sparrows, which is what I started working on when I first got here, that's my field study and my neuro study that's on song sparrows. And they are really cool because they sing, super complex songs and they have very large repertoires. So um, if you think about birds, um, you, you know, you'll, you can go online and say like, oh, what does this species sound like? What does this species sound like? Um, And there's kind of a typical sounding song for each species. Song sparrows though, each individual bird has a repertoire of like between 12 and 18 song types. And by song type, I just mean it's like a different structure. You can sort of think of it as like a vocabulary or something like that. Um, Different because it functions a little bit differently than the way we think of vocabulary, but like one bird will have like a repertoire of 15 things that it can sing. And it learns that, all. so all of those 15 songs that it sings are things that it heard when it was young and copied. So there's this learning element. uh, similar to humans. So human babies, if they were, you know, never heard adults talking, wouldn't be able to just speak English, right? You have to hear it and learn it and and learn from adults and people around you that are speaking. So similar to that, birds, they learn what they hear. And so the songs that they sing, they're, they're copied from the birds that they hear when they're young, which is why we can do these cool learning experiments. Um, but anyway, so, so song sparrows sing, have these really large repertoires and they use different songs in their repertoire for these different things. And so it's super cool to study because there's so much going on. You know, each song has like a very specific kind of function and they use them differently. And they, um, so it's cool to, to look at how they use these different songs in their repertoire. And then swamp sparrows, which are closely related, they're in the same genus. They, they have two to three songs in their repertoire and their songs are way simpler. So it's kind of interesting to think about like across, there's a lot of different species of sparrow and a lot of them have, you know, they all have these different, like some of them have huge repertoires and some of them have very small repertoires and some of them have really complex songs and some of them have really simple songs and they're all closely related to each other. So a, a cool question is to think about like, why would one species evolve this really elaborate 
you can think of it as like language or um, this really elaborate song system and another one doesn't. And there's, you know, so that is in an interesting sort of evolutionary question and that you could look at across birds even more broadly, but yeah, they, they have cool songs. So <laughs> that's what's cool about sparrows. So, so here's a weird question or this sort of shows you how weird my mind gets. Um, so in humans, when we sing, there are people who can sing well and people who are awful. Yes. Is that the same case for birds? Yes. Yes, it is. Good question. Really? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah. And I think we don't, this one, we shouldn't relate to humans too much, but basically we think that that actually matters a lot in the birds. And this is one of the things that we think their, their hearing is really attuned to these subtle differences in song um, because those listening to song are making assessments um, about birds based on what they sing. So, so bird song functions in two main ways in, um, in songbirds. And one is that it attracts females. So it's, the, it's actually most of the time it's just the males that sing in a species, which is another kind of cool thing about thinking about song is that there's these spe sex specific like functional differences. So it's mostly males that are singing and it's thought to be a sexually selected trait. So females will pick their mates based on their songs. And we think that females can assess the better singers from the worst singers and that they're making choices about who to mate with based on how well they sing, not just to be superficial, but because it's thought that song um, is like a, ref is a reflection of like male quality. So birds that... Wait, wait, I have to ask about that. I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I understand, like, visual, physical qualities, right? Sure. If it's a bigger male yes. or it's stronger or it's yep. smarter because it right. can do something, then that mm -hmm. will stay alive longer. But yeah. how does... Cool. <laughs> I yes. don't know how you make that jump from... Yes. You can sing really well, therefore you must be a good male specimen. specimen. Yeah. Well, so there's a couple different ways. One is that it's actually... A lot of, especially in these species that sing really complex songs, like song sparrows, it's quite physically demanding to produce those songs. And there's, um, and and this, both at sort of the, the, like metabolic. There's metabolic costs to singing. There's they have to be able to fill their lungs, and and the louder they can sing, it it says something about their physiological condition. We think, um, and their sort of metabolic um, capacity. And so there are. Um, birds that like will sing all day long and those are sort of seen as having better, maybe they're better at getting more food. And so they're, you know, they have a better diet and more energy to be able to sing all day long. And some of them are kind of, kind of the lame birds that don't sing so well or can't sing for very long. Um, it's sort of seen as like, you can think of it as like an athletic, <laughs> athletic test or something that, um, mm -hmm. and there are people who have, there are studies that show like people put birds in, you know, chambers where you can measure all this oxygen, like all this, you know, metabolic stuff and actually quantify this and singing is very costly, um, metabolically. And so it's thought that birds that can sing well and can sing more are in better body condition. The other piece of it is that because these songs are learned, so the birds are copying what they hear, there's a range of those who can learn well and copy, like very accurate copies of what they hear and those that kind of do a kind of lame um, attempt at what they heard. And that female, we think females can tell the difference. And so it, it also is a representation of some neural capacity, we think, like a cognitive ability to hear something and be able to translate that into what they sing. So it 
we think that females prefer males that can sing better because A, it is a representation of their physiological condition, and B, it shows some sort of higher neural function. All right, here's another weird question. Cool. <laughs> Has anybody uh, put a different species of sparrow with the uh, so for instance has anyone put uh your regular the was it the swamp sparrow mm-hmm. uh like as a baby mm-hmm. into a nest of mm-hmm. what was the other sparrow song sparrows yeah or, yeah. yeah funny you should ask has that, that. Ever happened? um yes that has been done with those particular species um which is also why we are working with them because there's been a lot done on them um so back in i want to say the 70s there was like a pretty classic in our field study that had swamp and song sparrows. Um, so they were both raised with equal exposure to their own and other species songs. And um, basically the, the answer is that you can't really teach, you can't really teach a swamp sparrow song sparrow song. Um, if you hmm. only raise it with the other so this is done in the lab where you'll like expose them sort of what we're doing, like expose them to song that you control. Um, so yeah, they won't be able to do it well. They can sort of do some sort of lame copy, lame attempt, but they're not going to do it well. Whereas if, you, and if you give them equal exposure to both their own and another species song, they always know which one they should learn. So they always like sing the right one, even if they hear both equally or in the same conditions. So there is so what we so what's cool about it is we think that there's like it's a cool sort of interaction of nature and nurture that they have to learn song in order to do it they have to hear it and copy it but there's like a template or genetic sort of innate template for what their species is supposed to sing that allows them to know what they're supposed to copy because in the wild they're you know they hear a million birds all around them and they know what to copy but they have to hear it in order to do that that's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. I mean, you can think of it as like if humans were raised by chimpanzees or whatever, like maybe we'd be able to make some sounds <laughs> that that would, um, you know, mean something there. But like if a chimpanzee is raised with a human, it's not going to be able to speak. I mean, chimpanzees are different because they don't have vocal learning. So that's a bad example. But I'm thinking like something closely related to us. Humans are the only... Um, primate that actually has this vocal learning that birds also have um, and and some whales and dolphins have it but actually other primates like don't learn speech or sound or song or whatever you want to call it um, in that way they they you know have sounds and grunts and calls and whatever but they're innate they're all born with that so humans are unique in that we have this super complex language that we can learn Um, birds are kind of the best model for what humans do which is kind of unique. A lot of, um, you know, mammals are usually the best model system for many things related to humans, but birds are actually a better model for speech and, and auditory stuff. I have a, I have another bird question. Do all birds, can all birds sing, or is this a set, like, species-selective skill set? Yeah, it is. So, no, not all birds can sing. Um, if you, there's a monophyletic clade of birds so like a a group that all shares a common ancestor that can all that are called songbirds so if you hear people will talk about songbirds that actually is like a evolutionary valid term for a ton of different species that do have the capacity to sing these complex songs um but i mean things like chickens and ducks and um 
you know, ducks quack and chickens make sounds, bok, 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 but it's not. Um, so there's two things that make songbirds unique and sort of the ones that we think about as the, the singers of the, of the birds. And that's a, this neural capacity to learn and copy songs really well. And, and B, uh, their vocal track, vocal structure. So we have a larynx, a voice box. Birds have a syrinx, which is just the word for their equivalent of our, of a voice box sort of thing. Um, so songbirds, birds in this group have a complex, complex musculature around their syrinx that allows them to make all these crazy sounds, which all the birds that are not in that group of which there are a lot don't have that. So like chickens and ducks quack and what make their sounds, but they don't learn them by copying. They are born knowing them and they don't have this fancy syrinx muscles. So not all birds sing in that way. I don't know if you can answer this, but this just reminded me, we've had a, a couple of guests on who have been paleo, who are, are paleontologists who keep reminding us that dinosaurs are birds. Yes. Birds are dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Um, did dinosaurs sing? Good question. I'm that this is not my area of expertise and I don't know exactly the latest research on this, but I do know that there are people looking at it and, um, there was a time maybe a couple years ago where I was interested in that question and I did some poking around. Um, it's thought that probably to some extent, yes, but, um, well, we think that dinosaurs probably vocal had vocal had the capacity to vocalize and use that to communicate how complex it was and whether they had all this sort of learning in you know learning capacity probably not um, because the more the more basal birds don't have that but there are people who are looking to see if dinosaurs vocalize and I think that there is evidence somehow somewhere that they probably did vocalize um, but I'm not going to talk too much on it because I'm probably going to get it wrong. <laughs> but it's a good question and it's something that I'm also curious about. Well, what kind of tech, I mean, what kind of tech are you using? Just high quality, you said high quality mics. Yeah. And I'm guessing you're using high quality editing for audio software. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how yep. do you do your research? Yeah. So we have a lot of, a lot of what I'm dealing with is um, like recorders, speakers, microphones, um, and then this, these audio software things. One thing that's pretty cool that we have used is these devices that you can, I mean, basically it, it, they're just like boxes you can put out in nature that are all waterproof and weatherproof and things and have huge battery life, um, that can just like take remote, take passive recordings. So it's when I'm out there, I'm usually pointing a microphone straight at a bird trying to get the best quality recording I can. But there are these systems where you can like put, um, a bunch of these coordinated boxes out, like all over a forest or whatever. And they're, in sync with each other and you can just record for months at a time or days or hours or you can set it to record at certain times a day and stuff like that and just get basically eavesdrop on, on a forest and hear all of the stuff that's happening without having to be there, which is really cool um, because, you know, when if you're looking at behavior, if you're standing there, probably affects the behavior of the bird because you know, we seem like something that might be a predator or, you know, whatever. So it's cool to be able to record without having to have people walking or, you know, tromping around in the facility. And then there's 
people who have programmed computer algorithms, I think it's similar to like Shazam technology um, that can like scan, you know, because these are then going to be these enormous files that nobody wants to sit <laughs> sit and look through or maybe, you know, maybe I will as a grad student. But, um, <laughs> but you can like program a computer to sort out similar sounding things to sort of do, like it's used in, in sort of conservation um, with a conservation angle sometimes to look at like to try to just assess like what species are present so you can get computers to go through hours and hours and hours and hours of recordings and sift out songs that sort of mat have similar structure and identify basically abundance and presence of, of different bird species. That's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for um, agreeing to discuss your research with us. Cool. Yeah, I know. It was fun. Hey, you're still here. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. Help other people find this podcast by giving us a rating on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Scope Podcast. Our theme music was composed by The Copy Cuts. Copy Cuts.